Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes. I'm Cassie Robel, the Director of Education and Community Engagement. And I'm Kathleen Trott, the Shop Manager for the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. Thank you all for joining us today. In this podcast series, we're going to introduce you to all the departments and people that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. In this episode, we will meet Carrie Muir, the Production Stage Manager at Arizona Opera. So we'll start our episode, like always, with our trivia from last time. When Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was touring, its costumes went through about how much glitter per month? The answer is two to three pounds of glitter. One of the heaviest costumes or puppets in The Lion King is Pumbaa. He weighs about 45 pounds and he's worn using a backpack-like harness. We are so lucky to have Carrie join us today because we are currently in production for the Copper Queen. So thank you so much for making time to be with us, Carrie. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So I'm super excited to get to know Carrie. I believe that Carrie, maybe in competition with Alita, is one of the employees of Arizona Opera who's been here the longest. I believe so. Yeah. Awesome. So to kick off, Carrie, will you tell us what you do at Arizona Opera? Uh, I'm the production stage manager. And what is that? Well, the stage manager, I'm the organizer, the coordinator, the scheduler. I don't make any artistic decisions, but I help all of the people who make those decisions make sure that they have all the information they need to make the decisions. I work very closely with the director to schedule rehearsals so that we have enough rehearsal time to stage each of the scenes and make all of the singers comfortable that they know they're staging. Uh, and also music rehearsals as well to make sure the singers are are scheduled appropriately for all those uh, sessions. Then when we get into the technical rehearsals, when we're on stage and we're working with lighting and so on, I really take charge of the whole uh, uh, organizing of those rehearsals, making sure the crew is where they're supposed to be at the right time, the singers are supposed to be where they're supposed to be, and then I call all the light cues, sound cues, scenery moves, I call all those cues. So uh, nothing happen. anything you see happening on stage from a technical nature, it doesn't happen until I've said go to one of the crew people. Or she gets upset. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Nobody ever wants their stage manager upset with them. Mm -hmm. No, no, absolutely not. So that's super fascinating to me. I think something that I've loved so much about this podcast is that, and, and it's really nice that Carrie, I, you're the last one that we'll probably do for a couple months. And it's great to talk to you last because I, I really believe that nothing would happen without you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely. You, you would not know what we are doing. No, you would not see a show on stage if Carrie or another stage manager wasn't behind the scenes telling everybody where they would go or mm-hmm. no one would know what they have to do. So you mentioned in that explanation pre like things that you're doing in tech rehearsals and mm-hmm. um, rehearsals and things like that. So what are you doing like during a performance versus pre-production? How do those differ? 
Well, pre-production, for, for the stage manager, it starts a long time before the rehearsals begin. We, we start, we, we get a copy of the score of the opera. We organize it into what is called a scene breakdown so that we know who's in each scene, how long that scene is, because obviously the amount of rehearsal time you need for a scene is different if, if it's a 30-minute scene versus a three-minute scene. So we do, and then we make sure we know who, which performers are in each of those scenes. And then that helps us uh, with all of the rehearsal scheduling and so on. We, uh, we go through the score uh, to analyze it for when characters might be doing costume changes, what props are required, and we kind of generate a bunch of paperwork in advance, which is also then similarly generated by the director and the costume designer and everybody involved is generating their own paperwork, but then the, the stage manager kind of collates all that information and looks through and says, oh, I think you might have forgotten that this person might need a handkerchief in the scene or whatever. And then that creates the final version of all of that paperwork. And that's before we ever go into rehearsal. Then during rehearsal, uh, you know, we, the stage manager comes at least half an hour before rehearsal begins, sets up the room, make sure the props are set for the scene we're rehearsing that day, make sure the room is tidy and clean and that the director's table is set up and everybody has a music stand who needs one and so on. Uh, and then during the, the, the staging rehearsals, mainly what we're doing is collating all the information about the technical aspects of the production so we can create the paperwork that we give to all the crew members so that you know we we would see in the staging that this certain uh, you know an actor is going to take a chair off stage and we know that the prop person has to take it out of their hands because they have to come right back on stage so we make all the lists of everything that that any that any person backstage or on stage might have to do and then we can break it out into a document to give to the prop people, a different document to give to the set people, another document to give to the costume people, so that by the time we get to the stage, everybody has their paperwork and they can just start from the beginning of the opera and run the, the show from their paperwork. I'm sitting here just shaking my head and <laughs> I'm masked, but if you could see my jaw, it is on the floor because I just can't like... I see Carrie around the office and know that she's super organized and she's always moving tables and like doing, you know, but it's like to hear you speak That's everything it. that you do, yeah. it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. Like you're magical. Well, <laughs> and one of the things that um, the costume department in particular is always very sort of appreciative of in opera is that the opera stage managers actually do a whole bunch more paperwork than a musical theater or a regular, like a straight theater manager does. Because normally the costume wardrobe head has to go into rehearsals at some point and figure out timings and entrances and exits and what is on them. And it's so hard to do when you've only been in rehearsal for one time because nobody ever stands in a rehearsal room where they actually are supposed to be. <laughs> so then you stare at them did they actually exit or are they on stage? Are, did they enter from the right place? Which character are they? Because they're just wearing their street clothes. You can't tell. But in opera, we have the amazing gift that the stage management department, who knows the answers, hands them to us. <laughs> and it makes our life so much easier. So whenever any of my new wardrobe people 
start to complain a tiny bit about the paperwork they have to do, I instantly am like, you guys don't even understand how blessed you are that you're doing opera paperwork for costumes because it is night and day <laughs> in other theater industries. Then the, the, uh, the I, d- I didn't answer the second part of the question, oh, which boy. is what I do during oh, yeah. performances. Oh, that was only pre-performance. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> then when it comes to dress rehearsals and performances, I just sit in my chair and turn the pages of my score and say go as many times as I have to. Well, stand by, stand by and go as many times as I have to. So the job gets really cushy is what you're saying. It, the job gets the totally cushy. <laughs> but one thing that, that people don't, uh, I think there's probably a lot of people who have done amateur theatricals or been in a play in high school or something. And they're using, in, in theater, um, the approach is that the actors know where they're supposed to be and they show up in time for their entrance and they make their entrances. And a lot of people might not realize when they watch an opera that the opera singers are completely coddled. Yeah. They, they don't have to know anything. Any. Yeah. I, I call them to the stage like three or four minutes before they have to enter. I get on the backstage paging system and call them to come to their entrance. And then they, when they get to their entrance, one of my assistant stage managers gives them a cue when it's time to go on. So they don't have to be paying attention at all, which you know has its drawbacks, because then oftentimes they wind up on stage and they're still not really in, in character because they're just you know, meandering. meandering. But yeah, so anyway, so that's what I do in the, in the performances. The, the first time that my husband, he's been wrangled several times into being a super, and the very first time he was a super, he came from when he was in high school, just regular, where you had to know everyone's lines because your entrance was based off of it. Right. And so he sat in the dressing room and he mystified the other supers because he didn't know that it was called to the extent it was for opera. And so he was just listening, even though it was in a different language, he can listen. So he was like, oh, when this pitch is happening or when whatever. And so he looked at his co-supers and he said, Carrie's gonna call us in like a minute. And then you did. And they looked at him like he had performed legitimate magic. <laughs> and he, they were like, how did you do that? And he was like, I just listened to the show. <laughs> right. I just know where we're at in the show. It's so nice though backstage because you just you don't have listen to worry. For Carrie to tell you what to do and you do what she says and you're golden. And every once in a while someone doesn't and then Carrie has to get on the <laughs> I I have to say one of the reasons after I started calling people to the stage for their entrances and thinking you know this is baloney I shouldn't have to do this work mm-hmm. then I realized that it helps all the crew people backstage yeah. as well, especially the dressers, because the dressers are never going to know. You're singing in a foreign language. They're never going to know where we are in the opera. So it helps them to know, oh, my, the performer I dressed just got called to the stage. I better go check and make sure I gave him his hat yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. And so it really helps. Every, once you realize that, that it's helping everybody, then you know, you're not so. Yeah, because we're not all on headset either. Yeah. So, because in, in some places, especially like big touring shows, the wardrobe, the head of the wardrobe department is on headset. So they hear all of the calls and they know, but here, none of our wardrobe people are on headset. And sometimes we're in places where the only thing that you can hear is the calls from stage management. So it does feel coddly, but it is actually really helpful. 
people and takes a whole level of like confusion and stress out of your life because you know what's happening that's what I was gonna say like you do like I remember just from being a performer a musician it is not knowing when you're going you know you just kind of have to guess that is an added stress and it must be really nice to know I mean they just trust that you know where we're at and Mm -hmm. they can relax and kind of get in the zone and yeah you'll come out and call them fear of missing yeah it goes away entrance when no one's calling you yikes and then if you do it's a heavy weight right and if you do (laughs) miss it it's not your fault right (laughs) yeah true the uh, the other thing that actually is a benefit to the stage management staff is that if you if we weren't calling them they would have a tendency to come to the stage 10 or 15 minutes earlier out of fear that they would be missing their entrance (laughs) and then the whole cast would be standing in the wings the whole time in the way while the tech people are trying to move things around and props are going yeah yeah. so if they only come when they actually need to be there it's a benefit to everyone everybody well we've really dove into this and we'll probably get into it a little bit more but we would love to learn a little bit about you Carrie so we talked, I, I alluded to the fact that you are one of the longest running Arizona Opera employees. So do you know how long you've actually been with Arizona Opera? 21 years. I started in the fall of 2000, the 2000-2001 season. And in those days, the company used freelance stage managers. So they, and they had two or three people that came regularly, but I had moved to Tucson. And so I was local and cost them less money. So they, you know, started hiring me, you know, just jobbing me in on a show-by-show basis. And after uh, the first, uh, after I'd been here about four years, it was the summer of 2004, they had some change in personnel in the production department and decided to make a, a full-time year-round job of production stage manager. And so they offered it to me. And so since since then, I've been a full-time employee, but... But, I, but officially, I've been working since the fall of 2000. I counted it up. I've done over 80 different productions, 80 productions. since I've been here. Wow. That's a lot. How it many? A lot. They're like, how many Bowens? Oh. <laughs> Probably like I'll half just of say them, right? too many. Yes. <laughs> I just, that's an astronomical number of cues, mm-hmm. right? Because each show has hundreds of cues times 80 times at least four performances and the entirety of the dress rehearsal week that's so many cues carrie earns her summers that's for yeah. sure <laughs> how did you um how did you end up at arizona opera so moving to tucson presumably was part yes of that. so i had i had been a kind of a freelance stage manager i had a couple of semi-permanent jobs but Um, In 1999, I I grew up in Utah, and my parents were still living in Utah, but in 1999, I wanted to move back to the West from the East Coast and be closer to my parents. And they, at the same time, were wanting to move to Arizona to get out of the snow in Utah. So we ended up all moving to Tucson, the whole family, my brother, my aunt, everyone moved to Tucson. So fall of 99, I ended up in Tucson, and uh, you know, I, part of the reason we chose Tucson was because I knew I could, I thought I could find work either at the theater company or the opera company. And so you know, I just started putting out feelers and, and had an interview with Polly Monroe, who was the production manager of the opera at the time, and she said, well, you know, we, we'll have some openings next year, let's, let's get you involved, and 
I was very happy to do it and extremely grateful when they offered me the full-time job because that happened to coincide with when my parents' health started to deteriorate and I needed to stop freelancing and just stay home and look after them. So that worked out extremely well. Sure, and she's still here. <laughs> still here. Still here. Do you have a favorite Arizona Opera show that you've done? Uh, at Arizona Opera, my favorite was Zemir e Azor, which was, is the story of Beauty and the Beast. So we called it Beauty and the Beast. Um, and it was uh, a production that we co-produced with St. Louis, Opera Theater of St. Louis. Uh, and uh, I just found it a ravishing production, and I love Baroque music, and we'd, I've, in my opinion, we don't do enough of it. Joe Spector, if you're listening. Um, I love Baroque operas, and so I just, it was a ravishing production. It was so much fun to work on, and the singers were great, and yeah, it was really good. So then before you came to us, what other kind of companies did you stage manage before? Well, I, I started out in theater. I never expected to do opera. I, I still love doing theater. I, I miss being in a room with the plays and, you know, the actors, you know, chewing over the script and trying to figure out what the playwright meant. I, I still miss all of that. Um, but so uh, I, my first professional job as a stage manager was at the Boston Shakespeare Company. And the second year that I was there, they changed their artistic directors and hired a, a young man named Peter Sellers, who has since gone on to a fair amount of fame as an opera director primarily. But we started out doing plays and then we gradually started doing operas. So I worked with him for 20 years. But then in the meantime, I also moved to Baltimore and was on the staff at Center Stage Theater there for a number of years. Um, so it was sort of like, Neither one was a full-time job, so it was kind of freelancing on both levels. But those were my two main jobs until until I came here. And with Peter Sellers, I, you know, I had the opportunity to work at a lot of fantastic places all over Europe, Australia, Japan, lots of places in the U.S. So that was, you know, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Do you have a favorite show of all time? I do. What is it? My favorite show, the th my favorite show of, of all the ones that I've ever done, mm -hmm. was uh, is an opera called *The Lighthouse* by Peter Maxwell Davis. I think I had so much fun doing this yeah. opera. It, I'll tell you, you know, if we have time for a, an anecdote we about do. *The Lighthouse*. <laughs> so, uh, uh, this was my first opera that I had ever stage managed uh, professionally. I had done a, a little bit in grad school, but not really, you know, extensively, and. The, the title character, of course, of The Lighthouse is these light towers that are you know, moving around on the stage and so on. Well, we were having trouble coordinating the cues to the music. So at the last dress rehearsal, Peter Sellers said to me, I think you should run the light board. I don't think you should call the cues because it's, there's just too much of a gap between yeah. the cue happening and the, and it was an old two scene preset board. So it wasn't like just hitting a go button. Right. It oh, was, gosh. you were, yeah. So the, the first night it was terrifying. But <laughs> after that, it got to the point where 
I could actually play the lightboard like an instrument mm -hmm. and respond to the the conductor. I stopped following the score and just started following the yeah. conductor because yeah. I could, you know, bring these lights up on this three count horn phrase while fading these out on the seven count string phrase, and it really it it, be, it became mesmerizing. Yeah. Bec because of that connection with between the lights and the music, so. That's why it was so much fun for me, was being able to do that. That's really cool. That is really cool. Everybody's an artist. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Are you on stage? Are you behind stage? Are you in the pit? Are you, I mean, it's just, I am forever in awe. And this podcast is really drawing it out for me of how many people it really does take. Like, you just don't think about that stuff ever. Like, who would ever think that the stage manager is back there running lighthouse? <laughs> like, it just... It takes it. I love it. I love the teamwork. I love the family. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you just, whether you've known someone for five minutes or five years, I mean, you're immediately family when you're doing a show together. And it's just, it's just so cool. I, I yeah. love every second of it. So I think you mentioned grad school. What, where did you go to school at? And did you get a degree in stage management? Sadly, no. So I went to um, undergrad school at uh, Southern Utah State College, which uh -huh. is now Southern Utah University in Cedar City, and I worked for the Utah Shakespeare Festival as a technician. Then I went to grad school at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I got an MFA in design and technology. They didn't have a stage oh. management program, but I don't think I would have been in it anyway because I was I wanted to be a lighting designer then. Oh, huh. well, then no wonder that board experience was right. so good for you. It's yes. right up your... Yeah. So, but then when I finished grad school, I got offered this job to be the stage manager at the Boston Shakespeare Company. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> it's worked out well. Good. Hey. Mm -hmm. It's like, that reminds me of Alice, um, our Copper Queen costume yeah. designer. She has a, a similar story. I mean, she didn't intend to be a costume designer and then worked in a costume shop and... Here we are. Like I mean, there are a lot of us that that has happened to that, uh -huh. that we either just just sort of fell in our laps or we resisted it in some way. We are going to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a few upcoming events at Arizona Opera. While our 2020-21 season is coming to an end, we are excited to announce our return to the stage for Arizona Opera's 50th anniversary season. The 2021-22 season will kick off in October with the McDougal Red series premiere of the Copper Queen film, followed by El Milagro del Recuerdo, a mariachi opera in December. We will return to Symphony Hall and the Tucson Music Hall with Carmen, followed by A Little Night Music and closing out our 50th anniversary season with Cosi Fantuti. You can find more information and instructions on how to purchase your tickets on azopera.org. If you enjoyed the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop Masterclass Series this season, we will be continuing classes in the month of July for both adults and kids. More information will be released about these summer masterclasses soon. If you missed Arizona Arias, Studio Scenes, or any other Arizona Opera digital programs this year, they are available to you always on Arizona Opera On Demand. To never miss a moment, be sure to visit our website, azopera.org, check our calendar, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Do you think? 
I would want to be a librarian. That's what I want to do, too. I, to be surrounded by books and people who are making no noise. And quiet. That's my and, dream. And everything is organized and uh -huh. lined up. That's my dream. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. And they don't ever lose things. Right. Everything's right. alphabetized. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Oh, my God in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, so what show was the most fun of all the ones you have ever been involved with? And you may have answered this question, but so I'm, is there a show that was also tons of fun that may not be your favorite, but you did something really fun or interesting or weird or crazy? There have been so many. <laughs> You're asking me to look back over 40 years of history here. I'm, I, I don't I suspect that one of the really good stories might not be a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, when I interviewed for this company, Carrie was one of part of the interview processes, and she and I had a good laugh, and she told a really great story, but I do not think <laughs> we should repeat it here. It looks like you'll have to so maybe in private run into Carrie yeah. at some point during our show when yeah, we're back or, in person. Or, or more importantly, run into Kathleen because I don't actually remember the story she's referring to. <laughs> um, that's, so then is there a show that you have like on a bucket list that you've always wanted to do and you haven't yet gotten the chance to do it? Um. I wouldn't say necessarily so. I mean, I, I started out early in my career and throughout all the time that I was uh, working in, in straight theater, I did a lot of Shakespeare and I love doing Shakespeare's plays. You know, there's just the, the, the language is so evocative and, and uh, you know, I've, there's quite a few of them like Romeo and Juliet and Julius Caesar and some of these that I've done multiple times, but there's a lot of them I've not done at all that I really, you know, so basically anything by Shakespeare I'd love to do. Is there a place that you've always wanted to travel and work and haven't gotten to? Um, well, not necessarily travel and work. Just travel. Just travel. Just no, travel. That's fine. Like uh, you know, if they were if they were doing opera at Machu Picchu, I would be really happy to <laughs> stage manage it because that's really that's some some place I've always wanted to go. Um, if you don't mind, I think this is not on our notes, so don't hate me, Carrie, but I would love to chat just a little bit about Copper Queen. Um, we've talked to a lot of our guests so far mm -hmm. about Copper Queen, and you are literally living, breathing it right now, going back to rehearsal in a half hour. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever done a movie before, and what has this experience been like? The, what I what I have done before is some of the operas that I did would be uh, videotaped, but they were videotaped from a live performance. But so we would take an opera that we had already done into a television studio with a live audience, and we would run it through, and we would have cameras everywhere, and they would film it, and then they would edit it into you know together into a content later, and they would film three different live performances all the way through. So that's just, a, that's a completely different world than what we're doing with the Copper Queen, where where we've had we've made this professional audio recording, which will be edited together with the film production. And that's, so what, what we're capturing in the, the filming process does not include any audio. Uh, so th this is completely different to me. Also, we're not filming it in order. So. Uh -huh. The, the thrust of the rehearsals up to now has been giving the singers as much 
possibility of their of performing their character arc as possible because when we get to the filming we're filming everything completely out of order so they won't have you know they won't be uh, they won't have the other scenes to have built on in their performance. They have to get bring it completely cold out of the box. So that's really that's a, something that's f completely foreign to me. That so you, I mean, you must have had to plan differently than you would have with a normal show. All that pre stuff. Yes. Well, uh, honestly, the the director Crystal Manich is she's the one who's done all, who's masterminded this whole thing. I don't see how we would have done it without her literally a year working on figuring out all the moving parts and how to make this happen. Our all-female um, team. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah, yes. She, she treated it like a movie, which mm -hmm. it is. And so she, they storyboarded things and she worked out really specific timings for how long she thought we would need to rehearse something before we shot it. And, you know, she worked with the film company that we're using also but that did help immensely because I think a lot of the production people on some level have some experience with some kind of film thing and we all have had varying levels of failure because of the lack of the foresight to know that you have to plan it out that specific because unless you do it you don't know. Some people all the time, I think, are like, oh, well, we'll just turn it into a movie. Oh, no, it's a whole different thing. And it requires whole other departments of humans to do things. Is there anything different? Um, so, for example, like Elena, um, our props supervisor, was telling us how she has to be really careful. I'm sure you're probably watching for this as well, but she has to be really careful with when the prop is used because it's not just a one and done situation you may record a scene 15 times that it has to go back into the same spot every single time are there things like that that you have to watch for and plan for that you haven't had to do for a live show well yeah that's a, you know that. continuity basically yeah. everyone in the room is on point about yeah. continuity so i'm taking photos of the prop preset Add, so, you know, where we've designated that there will be places, particular breaks that we say, we'll, you know, on this day we're going to start filming from this point. It might not be the beginning of the scene, but, you know, so we have the preset of how the props are at the beginning of the scene. Then I take a photo of how they ended up in that, at that moment where we're going to start one day, and, and a photo of how it ended up at the end of the scene. It's not going to be... A, a perfect the, the continuity thing is not going to be a perfect right. world because right. the the performers don't they, they carry something around and then they set it down and they don't set it in the same place every time right how would you possibly i mean i mean the movie and tv industry have departments whose job that is and still all the time yeah. we all know we watch things and we're like that sock was different five yeah. seconds ago right so mm -hmm. It just happens. It's humans, right. but we'll try as best as we can. Yeah. yeah. And you alluded to this before, but you mentioned an assistant stage manager. Mm -hmm. Everything we've been talking about sounds like a ton, but you're not doing it completely alone. Do you have a team? Yes. Well, you know, when we in the Copper Queen, I have one assistant working with me. Normally, I have two assistants working with me, and they help me all during the rehearsals. They help me with creating all the paperwork. And then, of course, when we're in rehearsal, tech rehearsals and performances, they're backstage, keeping an eye on everything and keeping the crew together. And you often so. have them in different 
hides as well, right? They're running it from different places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, when, when you hear the term assistant stage manager, like if, if I were the assistant education manager, then that would imply that I help you do your job. Right. But assistant stage manager is actually a completely different job description. They're not there just to help me do my job. I do my job by myself. Right. They each have their own job description and they're doing their own job. It's not, it's, so it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say assistant stage manager. In fact, a lot of places they call it sta stage right stage manager and stage left mm -hmm. stage manager just so that, you know, you can kind of keep, keep that clear that they're not actually assisting me in doing my work. Right. That makes sense. And you have, um, we talked with Kathleen's costume apprentices that you have that as well, right? A stage management apprentice normally in a normal year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the apprentice functions as the second assistant stage manager yeah. slash stage right stage manager or whatever you would call them. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I, this whole time I've been thinking like, oh, we've talked so much about all the stuff you do, but there are other people helping you. You're not a one woman show. I mean, right. you are, but. And, and, and well, and here's another thing about, um, you know, that people might know from um, from their previous theatrical experience is that in theater, the stage manager writes down all the blocking, you know, what the, where the actors go, what they do, and keeps, the, keeps track of all of that. But in opera, we also have a person called an assistant director. Again, a misnomer because that person has their own job description. They're not just there to assist the director. Um, and, and the assistant director in opera is the one who's in charge of writing down all the staging and keeping the singers, making sure the singers are doing the right staging and so on. Uh, and so that's someone that we have that's part of our uh, Marion Roos Pullen Arizona Opera Studio, Haley Stamets, who's doing a bang up job. And so that, that alleviates some of the work that a stage manager would do in theater. Yeah, that, that assistant thing, that's true. Because in, in costumes, I actually have to had to clarify this inside of our department a couple times that people come in as an apprentice and they're like, oh, I'm going to be an assistant designer. No, there's a difference between a design assistant right. and an assistant designer. And here, you're a design assistant because right. you don't actually design. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do get to make some specific choices because the designer will be like, you pick a ring. It's fine. I trust you. But it's a job in and of itself. A design yeah. assistant is a job right, yeah. that has to happen. Otherwise, all the little bits fall through the cracks. So, All right. So then we're going to do some fun speed round questions. Um, where is your favorite place to stage manage from? The booth. Because you're away from everyone, Because right? I'm away from the singers. <laughs> this is her librarian dreams <laughs> coming yes. out right here. <laughs> what is your favorite spike tape color? Teal. Teal, how fun. What do you do with all of those show binders after a production? Well, I save them as long as I can until we're overflowing and there's not enough space in the opera center <laughs> and then I recycle them. <laughs> Librarian again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so hard to throw away a book. Yeah. <laughs> and about how many post-it notes, the little tiny flags, do you think you go through each season? Including my assistant stage managers, the whole staff, at least 500, probably more like six or 700. Those binders are like rainbow tab, <laughs> things of beauty. 
I love them. Just to clarify, since we have a couple minutes left, your first two questions, can you explain to those who might know when you asked, um, oh, sure. where is your favorite place to yeah. stage manage? I and you forget. said the booth. I forget that not everyone knows. Well, what's interesting to me is before, the reason I'm asking is before I got into the theater world and performing and things like that, I didn't even know that this existed. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the booth and where is it? I know it can move, but generally. Um, well, uh, every theater has a control booth of, very, uh, of some sort. Uh, and it, the control booth might be a suite of booths in which the sound department has one booth and the lighting light board has another booth and the follow spots are in another booth and the stage managers in another booth and the super title operators in another booth. Or it might be just one little space and everybody's crammed in there together. <laughs> And it's, it's always in the back of the theater so that you can see the stage, because that's the whole point. Uh, and, but, uh, but depending upon the theater, it might be on the main level or it might be way up at the back of the balcony, which is more likely where it is, because the, if the follow spots are located there, they need a, a steeper angle. And that's why when I was young, I didn't realize in Symphony Hall, you can kind of see there's a partial booth on the main level. Mm -hmm. But what a, most of you probably don't realize is way, 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 way up in the very, very top is another one. And so I, that was something that I didn't know existed until I really got into the world and was like, oh, this is where you do these things. It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of akin to if someone needs the analogy where the projector is in a movie theater. Yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. Like it's behind a wall and back, and you don't ever really see the inner workings. It enclosed in glass so it's soundproof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then my last question, um, you, you, you said that your favorite <laughs> color is teal, but what is spike tape? <laughs> and what do you do with it? <laughs> okay, so uh, spike tape is like gaffer tape. <laughs> And what is gaffer tape, Wait, you ask? what is gaffer tape? Um, so uh, spike tape is, uh, it's a cloth uh, tape, uh, obviously with sticky back, that we use for marking the positions of all of the furniture and scenery. And in the theater, it, when you mark the position, that mark is called a spike. Unless you're in uh, Austria, where it's called a termin, which is also the same word as appointment, okay. which is odd. I mean, that um, kind of makes sense. Uh, so anyway, yes. So that's so a, a piece of furniture. So for example, if you have a chair, the two rear legs of the chair get a little corner mark, so you can see where the two back legs of the chair are. And you all it, 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 historically, you put the spike marks on the upstage side of the furniture, in other words, away from the audience, so it's not as obvious. But if it's a chair, you have to know which direction the chair is facing, so you put it on the back legs of the chair. And it's always very brightly colored, so you can see it, I assume. Well, yes, and each scene has a different color. Right. So act oh. one will be teal, act two will be purple, act three will be yeah, see, I didn't, yellow. I, I did not know that. The yeah. very last in rehearsal space day, the thing that they do after everyone else is gone, they being stage management, is they pull up all of that tape because it can't stay down on the floor. And it's actually my youngest favorite day and if she's here she's so excited because she loves pulling that tape up with you guys and then i have to fight her because she wants to keep that tape ball yeah carrie's making a huge motion with hands yes the tape ball sits in her room and i finally months later i'm like brianne we have to throw that tape ball away it is gross 
<laughs> the the ASMs here have a, a a tradition that when we pull up the tape, they make the big tape ball and yeah. they take a photo oh. of themselves with it. Yeah, I love it. And then they give it to Brienne. Yeah, oh. she loves it. She loves pulling that tape up with them. Hey, silly. I mean, if she loves it, you might as yeah. well use it while you can. <laughs> until she realizes. Free labor. Why am I doing this? <laughs> That's great. I mean, see, you learn something new every day. I honestly had no idea that it makes total sense that yeah, the colors are sense. themed to scenes mm-hmm. but i had no idea i thought it was just arbitrary <laughs> Net, nothing is arbitrary nothing that's uh, no <laughs> nothing at all nothing the color flags that they use for post-its probably mean something too okay so <laughs> this more than you ever needed to know the the opera has five shows per season uh-huh. All office supplies come in five colors. Post-it flags, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> highlighters, everything comes in five colors. So the first show of the season is green, the second show is blue, the third show is pink slash red, the fourth show is yellow, and the fifth show is purple. So no, no matter what happens, if it's the January show, you know walking down the dressing room hallway, the dressing room signs are going to be printed on pink paper because that's the pink show. Third, show number three, third slot. Changing my life right now. Yep. Color coordinate. I'm never everything I see now. I'm gonna be like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, um, so That's things. fantastic. Ugh, I love it. Well, it's been so much fun chatting with you, mm-hmm. Carrie, and I'm so sad that we have to let you go back to rehearsal. But we are gonna do our trivia, trivia. before mm-hmm. we let you go. We have about three-ish minutes. Yep. Do, do I get to try to answer them? Oh yes. You do. So I know the answers, obviously. So you and Cassie. Okay. Can quote unquote compete because there's not really but you know okay it's friendly <laughs> all right are we ready mm-hmm. I'm ready okay the 1849 astor place riot in manhattan new york was caused by a a prop being misplaced backstage b two actors arguing about who was the better shakespeare performer or c a tech person sitting on the stage manager's chair. I really hope it's number three. <laughs> B, you definitely want, B. Do you want to know why I hope it's number three, though? <laughs> There's so many carry stories. Because <laughs> when we're in production or you are in an area that Carrie inhabits, you often will notice a chair that is labeled. <laughs> shocker, any color coding there. But she, Carrie absolutely Don't labels, labels a chair it. that says Carrie's chair. Do not <laughs> it and it's my favorite thing ever so (laughs) even though carrie was very confident about number two i'm going with number three Three. just because of that (laughs) true or false when asked what a theater should be giuseppe verde once said what should a theater be a theater should be full i say true probably true we don't get to find out the answers till next week right when the Globe Theater burned down in 1613, the one known casualty was A, a man whose breeches caught fire and were then put out by a bottle of ale, B, the director who insisted on going down with the ship, three, or C, the performer who lit the cannon that started the fire. Oh, man. C. I was leaning towards C as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm going with C. All right. 
Well, thank you, Carrie, so much for joining <laughs> us. It was so much fun. It's always a pleasure to chat with Carrie. It is. It is. Thank you so much. I appreciate you making the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy I was able to do it. Thank you. Yeah, of yeah. course. And so this is going to be our final episode for a couple months. Um, we're going to take the summer, do some other recording. We may have a special episode here or there. Um, but for now, thank you so much for listening this season. And we can't wait to get behind the scenes again next season. Yeah it's been a pleasure and we appreciate you guys joining us on these lovely chats we'll be releasing a new behind the scenes podcast every month so make sure you check our website azopera.org follow us where facebook instagram and twitter and you should join our email list so you can receive notifications about all of our upcoming events that you don't want to miss Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is made possible by our lead digital sponsors for the 2021 season, Ron and Kay McDougall. This program is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of Arizona Opera Next Gen, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible through the support of Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Valentine Family Foundation, APS, and Jody Pelusi. This podcast is produced by its hosts with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.